I'm going to be in the gospel, and we're in John chapter 6. As I was trying to figure out what to talk about, I kept studying this, and for the first time after probably 30 years, I understand something. So I will see if I can pass that on to you. John chapter 6, the entire chapter is about bread. So we're going to talk about bread and what that means biblically, both literally and metaphorically. So the sequence. Remember back in chapter 5, where Yeshua authenticated himself to the leadership in Jerusalem. Told them who he was, told them why they should believe, and of course they didn't. John chapter 6, he leaves Jerusalem and goes to the Galilee region around Tiberias. Then he feeds the 5,000 with five barley loaves, and five barley loaves is the key to the entire chapter. I'll explain why that is in just a minute. So he got 12 baskets of parts remaining that he should lose nothing. He's the prophet. Then he walks on water, calms the storm. The crowd follows him to Capernaum. That's where we are today. And then we have the bread of life speech. So that's the sequence of things. So let's talk about bread. Anybody right off the top of his head know where the first mention of bread is in Scripture? It's in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall. And one of the things to understand is people chow was originally designed to be the fruit of the trees. In other words, when God put us in the garden, he says you can eat any of the trees you want, except that one. So, of course, like two-year-olds, we went right to the one we weren't supposed to eat, and we ate of it. Then God is getting ready to throw us out of the garden, and we're in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. First mention of bread in Scripture. And the reason that we're eating bread is because we are no longer allowed to eat what we were designed to eat. So bread, if you will, is plan B. And not only that, the ground is going to fight you for the bread. Interestingly, the very next mention of bread in Scripture is still in Genesis. We're in Genesis 14, starting in verse 18. This, by the way, is after Abraham has the battle with the kings that came over from the land of Shinar to rescue Lot. So in Genesis 14, 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So the first mention of bread we have is when we got thrown out of the garden and our diet got changed for us. The next one is Melchizedek, who, this is genealogy, it's not scripture. I personally believe Melchizedek was Yeshua, pre-incarnate. And he shows up with bread. Now, after that, we've got a whole bunch of mentions of bread, but it's mostly in the context of just plain old food, nothing special. The next mention of bread that is significant is in Exodus 16, starting in verse 4. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So the sequence, bread, we got thrown out of the garden. Melchizedek shows up with bread. Melchizedek is priest of the God Most High. And then the next one is, God says when we're in the wilderness, I'm going to rain, not here, but other places it says, the bread of angels on you. So bread is metaphorically significant. Now, we are coming up on Passover. So what is the feast immediately after Passover? Unleavened bread. Starting to get the theme here? Bread is important, and it's used metaphorically in Scripture as well as in its common meaning of just food. There will be lots of places in Scripture where give me bread to eat, that kind of thing. And there it's just food. But the fact is that it's extremely significant. Now, unleavened bread. Some of you mentioned first fruits, which of course is the feast in the middle of unleavened bread somewhere. What kicks off first fruits? Barley harvest. What we do on first fruits is we bring the first of the barley in. And then from there we count 50 days and what historically happened is in 50 days we made it from the Red Sea to Sinai. So what harvest do we have at Shavuot, which is the next feast? Wheat. So what we do is we go from barley to wheat in that 50 days. Now, when we teach this about counting the Omer, Barley is, how shall we say it, cheap food. It is typically the food that you give to animals. It's also typically the food that you would give to slaves. So Israel has just come out of slavery at the time of the barley harvest. So what we're talking about is Israel is enslaved as they come out. They then, in 50 days, make it to wheat, which is a much higher class grain, and that's what you would feed people. So barley is slave chow, animal chow. Wheat then becomes much finer stuff. So we're moving in that 50 days from slavery to the foot of the mountain where we're going to talk to God. So what we have in the feeding of the 5,000, and I'll back you up to last week's reading, and I'm John 6, 12. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, and he said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And of course, you all know the prophet is predicted in Deuteronomy, where God says to Moses, I will send you a prophet like you. So Israel is always looking for the prophet, who is, of course, Yeshua. So when they get fed with the barley loaves, he said, this is indeed the prophet. Now, notice the numbers here. First off, we're dealing with barley loaves. 
Second, we are dealing with how many of them? Five. And what is the significance of that? I will suggest to you that five is the books of Moses, the Torah. Barley loaves are slave chow. Now, I will remind you of Galatians. In Galatians, Paul is talking about two covenants. There's the covenant of Sinai, which is equivalent to Hagar, the slave woman. And there's a new covenant from heaven, which is freedom. So what we have here is Yeshua feeds his people with five barley loaves, talking about the slavery of Moses. I will remind you of all of this because lots and lots of people in the Sunday church, God bless them, get this wrong. The words of the covenant at Sinai given by Moses are exactly the same as the words of the new covenant. The words have not changed. What has changed is where they're written. They were originally written on tablets of stone to indicate hearts of stone. In the New Covenant, they will be written on hearts of flesh. So the deal here is not that your behavior has changed. It's the source of your behavior. So in the case of Moses, what you have is your standards are imposed on you from the outside. You shall not do this. You shall not do that, etc. That is metaphorically Slavery. In other words, somebody is imposing your behavior on you from the outside. When you get the Torah written on your heart, the instructions have not changed, but now it's not being imposed on you from the outside. It is something that comes from the inside of you. So in neither case do you murder. In the first case, you don't murder because God said not to murder and the police are there and everything else, and you really get punished if you murder. In the second case, you don't murder because you're not a murderer. You've changed. Same thing with covetousness. Thou shalt not covet. Don't you covet. No matter what, don't do it, right? That's imposed on you from the outside. When you've got it written on your heart, you don't covet because it isn't in your nature. So this metaphor of the covenant at Sinai being equivalent to the slave girl, Hagar, and the New Covenant being equivalent to heaven, if you will, or freedom, the behavior hasn't changed. What's changed is you. Before, you were a slave because you were made to do the right thing, if you did do the right thing. Now, you're no longer a slave. You just do the right thing because that's who you are. So what Yeshua is doing then with his five barley loaves is he's talking about, metaphorically, the five books of Moses and slavery. In other words, he's saying the same thing that Paul says in Galatians. And what he's doing is he is moving them from the bread of affliction, the bread of slavery, if you will, to himself, who is the bread of life. That's the metaphor of this entire chapter. That's what's going on. And if you don't understand the business about five and barley loaves, all the rest of it 
becomes Bible sound bites for you. You're not really sure what's going on. So let's look at what he's saying. First thing is, how many baskets did he fill with leftover bread? Twelve. So what he's saying is, this leftover bread, if you will, is the nation of Israel. And it furthermore says, he lost nothing. That's today's reading. And I'm all the way down to John 6:39. This is Yeshua speaking. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Notice, raise it up as a wave offering. So the fact that when he fed the crowd with the five barley loaves, and then he went around very carefully and gathered up all the leftovers to fill 12 baskets, the idea there is he lost nothing. So everything that God gives him, he keeps, and he will in no wise send it away. The whole thing is one integrated unit. Now, in next week's reading, still continuing in John chapter 6, he's going to go into the business, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. That's the next part of this chapter. And of course, at that point, all the good Jews freak, because... The Torah explicitly prohibits drinking blood. And, of course, the idea of eating somebody's flesh is just disgusting. And what happened there is a whole bunch of people that were following him drifted away. They couldn't handle that part of it. So this whole chapter is of a single thread, and it's all talking about bread. Now, the idea here is we are moving from natural bread which we got as a result of our mortality. When we ate of the wrong fruit, we became mortal. Bread is mortal chow, if you will. And what God is doing throughout the Bible, starting with the garden, then going next to Melchizedek, who is his own priest who brings out bread, then next going to manna, which is the bread of heaven, finally going to his son, who is the true bread, what he's doing is he's moving us from food that is appropriate for mortals to food that is appropriate for everlasting life. That's what's going on here. And it starts clear back in Genesis. This is simply the culmination of a long series of things where God is moving us very much the same way as he moved us from the Red Sea, to Sinai. He's moving us from barley loaves, which is slave food, to the bread of heaven. That's what he's doing. And that's what he's doing with his son, is he's moving us from the bread of slavery, which is the Torah, to the bread of the new covenant, which is a changed character. The standards of behavior do not change. He flat says, nothing in the Torah is going to change. It's not the standard of the change, it's where it's written. It's your character that must change. Now, one of the things that they ask him, I'm now down in John 6, verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? 
and Yeshua answered them, This is the work of God, that you should believe in him whom he sent. And then they ask him for a sign. Now, I do not understand that, because the reason they're there is because they had a sign. And they say up in 614, when the people saw the sign that he had done. And these are the same people, you know, they followed him. So the fact that they're not asking for a sign, I, I do not understand. I mean, I think this is just flat, basic human stupidity. Can't do anything more with that. So they ask him for a sign. And what he says is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, our dear Sunday brethren, look at that, and they don't really get the idea of believe in that culture. Basically, the idea is belief that does not lead to action is meaningless. Lots and lots of people will say, I believe in the Son of God, but their behavior doesn't reflect it. And as I say, belief that does not cause action is dead. James says the same thing. Faith without works is dead. So to believe in the Son is to reorder your life based on his word, most of which is given in Moses. For those of you who are Paul mavens, and I like Paul, I'm being facetious here, Colossians 1, 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, By the way, where do you get the knowledge of his will? Read the book. Read the book. He wrote it down for you. And it's unlikely that he's going to give you anything special that is any different if you're not following the original set of instructions. People don't follow the basic instructions and then say, God, give me a word. Well, I gave you an entire book over here. Go read it. So let's start again. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit is an entire other teaching. And you can do the same thing with fruit that I just did with bread. But what he says is, A good tree bears good fruit. If it isn't bearing good fruit, it isn't a good tree. Similarly, a bad tree bears bad fruit. So you can tell by the fruit. So what he's saying to us here is, I am moving you out of slavery. I'm moving you into my presence. I am feeding you with the bread of heaven. And what I expect you now to do is start bearing fruit worthy of what I'm feeding you.